Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. All right, so today we are doing a deep dive, which means I kind of get to preach whatever God lays on my heart this week. Isn't that awesome? Actually, it's not that different from what happens every week, but it does mean it's a standalone sermon, so it's not part of a greater, broader message. It's just something that God laid on my heart for this church, and so Jason is actually going to do a deep dive next week. We're really excited to hear what he says about Tanzania. He's going to have lots of awesome stories from that, and then we're going to start our church camp sermon series in August. So today we're going to John 6. Now, I read a little bit of John 6 already today, but depending on how long you've been around here, you've probably heard us say the phrase, I'm in, right? We have a table in the back. It says, I'm in on it. You can go there if you've made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time or the first time in a long time. We have resources. We have Bibles. We have um, all kinds of, of things to give you to show you how to do that to make that decision well and to take the next steps on your journey. We also have the screen that comes up at the end of service, right, that says text I'm in to the number on the screen. Various ways to show us that you're in to communicate and sort of self-identify. You've now chosen to start a life for Jesus to serve him. Sometimes, I think... We as Christians assume that if we did everything right, everyone would come to Jesus, right? If, if that, we as the church, as Christians, we did everything correctly, if all of those I'm in avenues are correct, and this is sort of my problem sometimes is I, I like my systems and I like to put resources in the hands of people. And so I build all of these things and I tweak all of these ways for me to give resources to you. And I think that if all of that is correct, right, if the church is right, if the temperature is right in the sanctuary and and nobody has to open a door for themselves and everybody smiles the right kind of smile at the door and uh, we, we got the, the percentage of lessening games right in the back, and the volume is right, and the haze, I don't know. We, we think if we do everything right, everyone would come to Jesus. Don't get me wrong. There, are always a, there is always a ton the church can improve upon and should improve upon. But Jesus was a perfect leader, a perfect person, and a perfect servant of God, and people still left him. In John 6, we see this picture of sort of a tide shift in his ministry. What I want us to see today is that it is not what everyone else is doing. See, we tend to to take a message like this and apply it to everyone else, that I know somebody who walked away, or I have a family member who doesn't believe anymore like they used to, and I'm looking for the right just zinger to get them, right, and to convict them to come back to the church. Well, let me just stop you and say, this is not that sermon, okay? What I want us to see today is that you were the one who has walked away. I'm the one who has walked away. Maybe not today, maybe not lately, but at some point I have, 
And at some point, I probably will again. <laughs> and I think if we, we can maybe recognize some of the signs and symptoms beforehand, we can avoid it sometimes. This message is called, I'm out. Now, John 6 takes place in a time of Jesus' ministry when he became very popular very fast. He gained momentum very, very quickly. And by all accounts, especially in evangelism context, we, that's a good thing, right? Sounds like a good thing. We, we hope that over in Tanzania right now, they have gained popularity very fast and that they're preaching the gospel to tens of thousands of people. We hope to squeeze all the people we can in those arenas to hear the message of the gospel. But it wasn't the crowds or the people that Jesus had a problem with in this passage. He had a problem with the way that he became popular so quickly. Watch this. We're going to read a lot of scripture today, so buckle up. John 6, 1. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Just as a real quick FYI, John, the Gospel of John, was written after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's the Gospel that's most different because John was intending to pick up the pieces where the other Gospels miss some details. John likes to give us places and times and the context for where this happened because he was hoping that the reader would fact check him. So he says it was almost time for the Jewish celebration, not necessarily because we as believers need to know it, but he's trying to prove that what he says happened actually happened. I don't know why I'm getting goosebumps as I talk about this because it's, it's real, right? This is what John was intending for us to know. So those little throwaway lines, you think, don't mean anything in the scriptures? Everything means something in the scriptures. It's nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, verse 5. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Now, I hope that you've caught this from previous messages, but when God, or the Son of God asks a question, do they know the answer? I feel like this should be easy, y'all. Come on. Yes, that God knows the answer, right? He knows all the things. So when he asks a question, is it for his benefit or yours? Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. <clears throat> Philip wasn't quite seeing what Jesus was trying to get him to see. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? At least Simon Peter went a little further with it, right? He saw something he could use, and he knows. I don't know that he did know this because he said, what good is this? But he should have known that something in the hands of God is worth a lot more than in the hands of us. Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered 5,000. Again, a little tidbit that you wouldn't think would mean much, but because the men alone numbered 5,000 and they all had families, wives and children, it was a huge crowd. 
Everybody in the area knew about it, and John wanted the reader to check. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, Now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Now, I was wondering about those leftovers, right? Because God is perfect. So does he ever make too little? Does he ever make too much? So why were there leftovers, right? And then I realized there were 12 baskets with scraps. How many disciples did Jesus have? He made them doggy bags, y'all. I'm just saying. To-go boxes are like a new kind of holy to me now. <clears throat> Jesus knew exactly how much he needed to make, and he made the right amount because they had a journey ahead of them. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we've been expecting. Do you know what kind of prophet the Jewish people in this time and context were expecting? Do you remember how wrong they were about some of the prophecies? They expected a warrior king. They expected a king that was going to overthrow the Roman government for them. They expected a king that was going to liberate them from their oppressors. And they thought, surely this guy can not only heal broken bones, but he can feed the armies too. He's got to be it. Can you already start to feel them sort of grasp at power? They're power hungry. They're starved for it, actually. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. Jesus had an assignment. And was that assignment to be king in that context for that people for that time only? Or was his assignment to be king spiritually for many, 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 many more people for eternity, <laughs> right? Not all good things are God things. More influence, in this case, might have done Jesus some good temporarily, but it wouldn't have gotten the job accomplished for eternity. And there's a priority structure. God's assignments come first. Right after this passage, and we're going to skip a couple verses because we read these earlier in worship, but Jesus walks out on water to the disciples through the storm, right? And again, he's trying to get them to see the spiritual, not the physical, not the storms raging all around him. I heard a sermon once that explained this particular passage, and it said that this particular sea that Jesus sent them out on was known for its quick storms popping up at night. They came quick, they left quick, but they were vicious and they took lives. And you were not supposed to be on the sea in the middle of the night. It was dangerous. And yet, Jesus sent them out on the sea. He said, go meet me on the other side. But the disciples thought, surely he's going to come back down and join us. And so they waited and they waited and they waited and it was nighttime and they had to go. Right? They just they had to get going. They were trying to beat the storms. They didn't, though, did they? 
And here comes Jesus. Just like he was testing Philip earlier, he was testing the disciples here. And I don't know about you, but it makes me feel a little bit better that Jesus sees the storms coming. (laughs) And he's already equipped me to handle them. Even if I don't feel equipped, even if I feel a little alone, like he's maybe up in the wilderness and he left me alone to die in the storm, he didn't. He knew it was coming, and he is with you. He's already equipped you with everything that you need to get through it. And he'll show up, because he's not going to leave you alone in it either. He came out to them on that sea, and he walked them through to the other side. So right after that passage, that happens, and then basically... Jesus is hunted down and stalked by this crowd. I mean, they're looking all over for him. They can't understand how he was up in the wilderness last time we saw him, and now he's across the sea and confront, like, what happened there? And they literally say, verse 25, they found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Because they were hunting him. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, and in true Jesus form, he does not answer the question that they asked. He says, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Do you think they wanted to perform God's works because they understood why God worked them? (laughs) In fact, Jesus says straight up to them, you don't understand why they happened. So how could they understand why they wanted them? In fact, they were grasping at power, not at God. Do you understand the difference? It's important to understand the context of how this crowd is behaving, the spirit with which they were behaving, because Jesus has some pretty harsh words for them here in a minute. It's not what they're asking that Jesus has a problem with. It's how they're asking it. Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Does a power-hungry crowd want that kind of answer? They don't want to just believe. Come on, Jesus, you did tricks for us. Jump, monkey, jump, right? They want to see his other tricks. Come on, we want that power. We want to be able to feed our armies. We want to be able to overthrow governments. We want to be able to heal the sick so that they can fight for us. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? What powers can you do? It's it's, it's passive-aggressive manipulation. Can you see it? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Just because you know the scriptures does not mean you know the heart of Jesus. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. See him trying to, to get them to see the difference between just relating to God in terms of the blessings that he can give you and actually relating to God. Because God's always trying to give you better blessings, deeper blessings, more spiritual blessings that will last you for eternity, not just the here and now. All they're worried about is food for the here and now, not the eternity. He's trying to elevate their perspective to see something better, bigger, higher, deeper, right? They just can't see it. Verse 
I lost my place. 34. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Again, just not seeing it. They have this starving mindset. They're, they're still thinking, bread in my belly, not bread for my soul. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. <clears throat> Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you have seen me. Now he's just starting to be offensive. <laughs> First, he keeps claiming to be God, which is downright blasphemy if you don't believe that he is God. And more importantly, he's not making any more bread. Right? I mean, come on, Jesus. We're hungry here. Do your magic trick. Right? Feed us. Feed us. Feed us. Serve us. Serve us. Serve us. Liberate us. Fight for us. You see their spirit. It's a starving spirit. However, those... The Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not do my own will. If he was here to do his own will, he'd probably be king by now. He didn't come to do his own will, because not all good things are God things. He put the priority on God's assignment, not what he wanted to do. Verse 39, and this is the will of God that I should not lose even one of all those things he had given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. And the people began to murmur, of course, as people do, in disagreement, because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? <laughs> right? But Jesus replied, Stop complaining about what I said. For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. As it is written in the scriptures, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father. Only I, who was sent by God, have seen him. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate man in the wilderness, but they all died. It's a little... Again, offensive to that culture and context. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. Now he's starting to take this teaching to another level. Can you feel it? Flesh, talking about eating flesh in a Jewish context is... A little offensive as well because they take their flesh eating very seriously and very specifically and eating human flesh is not part of the plan right that's just offensive then the people begin arguing with each other about what he meant how can this man give us his flesh to eat they asked and instead of pulling back and explaining himself jesus again says i tell you the truth Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. <clears throat> now it's getting real, real. Listen, these teachings of Jesus have no value if you take them at face value. Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. Even if his body was still in the grave, which we know it isn't, but even if it were, we could not still be actually eating his flesh and drinking his blood God wasn't teaching us how to be a vampire here. 
Okay? This, he was trying to take them deeper, remember, to take them from a physical mindset to a spiritual one. You have to dig for it. And he explains, <coughs> he goes on, but anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Now let's skip down to verse 60. Many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone possibly accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? This little thing? The very foundation upon which our faith and our church is going to be built, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. This is our key to the rest of this passage. He's trying to get us to see it spiritually, not physically. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe. And he knew who would betray him. Then he said, this is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. Not the bread, the words. Not the miracles, the words. Simon gets it. He got it. We, we believe, he says, and we know you are the Holy One of God. In other words, we trust you even when you're not feeding us. We trust you even when you're not healing us. We trust you even when you don't seem to be with us, like in the boat last night, right? We trust you, not just the things you're providing for us. We trust you. Then Jesus said, I, ch I chose the 12 of you, but one is a devil. And he was speaking to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, one of the 12 who would later betray him. What I want you to see here is... Not that Jesus always behaves in this way, but that he always behaves in this way to this particular spirit. And the problem with this is that a lot of us have this particular spirit. It's what I keep calling the starving mindset. It's the me, me, me mindset. It's the God, give me... It's almost like looking at God like Santa Claus. Right? We, we submit our list of needs and wants. He gives them to us, and we don't think about them again all year. Instead of getting to know the blesser, the guy who provides it for us, we just want the blessings, please, and nothing else. Starving mindset. We just want more and more and more. And I keep calling it starving because it never ends. The wanting more never ends. You're always going to want more. And Jesus is trying to take us from an infant mindset to an adult one. Because we're all hungry, right? We all get hungry. We're human. But an infant handles hunger very differently than we do as adults, yeah? An infant is starving immediately. As <laughs> soon as they hear, feel the hunger pang, they don't understand it, and they're starving, and they need milk now. Only milk, nothing else. Right? And they kick and they scream and they cry until they get it because that's the only way they have to communicate with us. And mom and dad only communicate with me in a very specific food, milk kind of way. Right? 
and toddlers grow a little bit more and children grow a little bit more and teenagers understand a little bit more and as adults we can feed ourselves by now. We can understand what those hunger pangs mean and we know how to do it ourselves. No more kicking and screaming and crying. Oh, and also we get to eat more things, right? It's not just milk all the time. Anybody catch where I'm going with this yet? It's a metaphor, <laughs> right? As baby Christians, we drink milk and milk alone, and we need that to get by. But Jesus doesn't want to leave us there. There's so much more to be had of him, so much more to experience the joy, the ice cream, right? The steak, the, all the good things that there is to eat, there's those good things spiritually as well, and God wants you to experience them, but you can't do that staying in the baby stage. It's a starving mindset. We only want to relate to God in this one specific way, in the way that he blesses me, specifically how I want to be blessed right now. If he does not do that, I'm out. But Jesus doesn't always make it that easy. And when he's not making it easy... It's for your benefit spiritually, right? Because if it's spiritually helpful to feed you, Jesus will feed you. But when it's not, he will not. He will challenge you to go further. The feeding of the 5,000 was such an impactful miracle that all four Gospels record it. It's the only story all four of them record. They all wanted you to see that God is the provider and that when it is spiritually helpful to feed you, he can feed you no problem. He has no problem doing that. But when it's not, he's going to challenge you to go further. He's going to sort of rebuke you, give you harder teachings until you're able to step up. But by the way, Jesus isn't doing anything here. He's not asking you to do anything here that he did not do himself. As a human being, fully God and fully man, we believe about Jesus. He spent 40 days and nights in the wilderness depriving himself of food because it was spiritually helpful for him to do so. In fact, Satan shows up. Do you remember this? While he's in the wilderness and says, feed yourself. Right? You're the son of God. Feed yourself. Tell that rock to turn into bread, and it has to obey you. He's tempting him with actual food to fill his physical belly. And Jesus says, uh-uh, I'm not sustained by bread alone, but on the words of my Father. I'm spiritually sustained. My body is not in charge. I am in charge. There's a difference. That's what fasting teaches me every time, by the way, that I can control my physical needs and wants and desires because I my eternal soul, my spirit, is different than my body, and I don't have to listen to it all of the time. I'm in charge through the power of Jesus. And so when it is spiritually edifying for things to be a little difficult, Jesus will make it so. We tend to, to blame Satan for a lot more things than he is responsible for. We give him a lot of credit. We, th we think everything is because of him. And none of it could possibly be because I am just a naturally selfish, sinful person. And I bring things on myself. And none of it could possibly be God challenging me to go further. It's all his fault. We skipped the part about the storm in the sea here. But again, Jesus knew he was sending his disciples into a storm. 
Not only because he was the son of God, but they all had to know it too. Because it was known about that sea. Gales, the Bible calls it a gale, a quick storm. Deadly, dangerous storm. It came up quickly on them and Jesus knew he was sending them into it. I think he was testing them and teaching them, just like he was when he asked Philip, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was trying to get Philip to think in a more spiritual way than a physical way, to see the harvest, the provision that was standing right in front of him in terms of a person. You know, we call Jesus, um, in theological terms, it's called the incarnational ministry, meaning that God usually provides for our needs with a person. Incarnational ministry. He sent Jesus to fulfill the law, and he sends us to fulfill each other's needs. That's how he works. That's how he relates to us. That's why we get to give. We don't have to give. We get to participate in what he's doing. He uses us. But sometimes we have a hard time seeing that. Jesus' religious burden is easy. His yoke is light because he already fulfilled all of the requirements in the law. But his teaching is not always easy to understand or accept. Sometimes Jesus seems to speak in what seem like riddles. He almost hides the truth. It's truth you have to dig for a little bit to study and research and think about because it will benefit you spiritually to do so, right? In our Wonder series back in December, we we talked about this very thing. God causes us to wonder at his word, and wonder causes us to dig deeper, to find out the truth for ourselves, because we don't usually accept truth just lying around on the surface, do we? If a, a conspiracy theorist walks up to you just on the sidewalk one day and pitches you, just let's say it's the 100% truth, He gives it to you on the street. Are you likely to accept that truth? Are you likely to walk away and say, he's a crazy person, moving on? Discarded, right? Even if it's it's the absolute truth, but that person is completely convinced because they put work into finding out that truth. Lots of YouTube videos were watched finding out that truth, right? They worked for it, they dug for it a little bit, and they know it. It's true. We're not likely to accept it. It's why in our culture, sidewalk evangelism doesn't work super well because we're almost sort of inoculated to Jesus. I I know it feels like our culture is quickly becoming not Christian, but travel somewhere abroad and you'll quickly understand just how Christian we are still as a culture. We think we know what church is all about. We think we know what God is all about because we've seen some movies where there's pews and there's a judgmental guy in robes on the stage who is very different from us. We think we get the Jesus thing and it's not for us. We're almost inoculated because of our Christian culture. And Christians love to complain about that. They love to complain that the, the world is going to hell in a handbasket and that everybody, everything's going wrong. And, but honestly, our light shines brighter in the darkness. It's not our job to critique and criticize culture. It's our job to be an example for it, to show them how good this relationship is because of our love, because of our hope, because we have purpose and we're happy about it, right? Make them want, make, make Zacchaeus want to climb up in the tree to see Jesus. Make 
Nicodemus, come late at night. Seek Jesus out. They will seek it out when they need to. And I think this is why Jesus kept throwing the responsibility back on God. Calvinism usually teaches that when Jesus says things like, only the Father can bring them to me, and the Father has chosen who will come, Calvinism teaches that that means there is an elect group of people. God calls only those he wants to call, and the rest of us are left out. And we don't know, we can't possibly know the difference. I tend to think the three or so times that Jesus mentioned the Father calling people in this passage, what he was saying was, that's on God. I don't have to worry about that because he's got that. That's God's job to convict. It's God's job to draw them. My job is just to spread the good news. To spread good news, by the way, Christians. Right? We love to tell the bad news sometimes, but good news is what we were called to tell. That Jesus loves us. That he forgives. That God is real. That God is love. Right? Let God do the convicting. He's way better at it. That's what Jesus was saying here. The truth isn't always easy to find, but when found out, when confronted with a challenging truth, this crowd, these people, decided to completely reject it rather than to change their minds. They would have rather he feed their physical bellies than their spiritual souls. But we first and foremost are spiritual beings that only temporarily fit into these physical bodies. When you think about it, we're going to spend very little time in these physical bodies compared to forever, right? We are eternal beings meant to live forever, and I think Jesus is trying to prepare us for that a little bit. Stop allowing your bodies to control you because you're going to be lost when you don't have one anymore. Listen to my voice. Listen to my voice. You know, I've been learning this lesson a lot lately because sometimes God tells me to do something in more of a shout, right? He's very loud about his requests and commands of me. Sometimes he just speaks to me, but sometimes it's more of a whisper. It's a little bit hard to hear. It's a little bit hard to understand. And I feel like he's back on the shore while I'm out on the boat in a storm all by myself, right? There's different seasons we go through in life. And if you're only willing to receive from God in one specific way that was meant for one season, you're going to miss what he's trying to tell you in the next season because God only shouts. That's the way he communicates to me. I get the warm fuzzies at church. That's the way he communicates to me. But another season is coming and you have to be willing to go with Jesus to the next one, to receive from him in the next one. We actually get a lot of people around here that love the warm, fuzzy feeling. They cry every week in in worship, and it's good and amazing, and I love that God communicates to us in that way. But can I just warn you, the warm fuzzies might not last forever. I've seen people go through it. They show up at church, and, well, I just don't get those warm fuzzies anymore. The pastor must not be in the word like she used to be. Maybe God's trying to call you to something else. Maybe he's trying to take you out of just the milk season and feed you something bigger and better. You have to be willing to trust him. Do toddlers always trust 
the things that we put in front of their mouths, even if it's good for them, right? Most toddlers do not like peas, but the peas hold nutritional value and you need to eat the peas, right? We have to get them over that hump. Jesus is trying to get us over that hump to the next thing. So let him push through your walls. Let him push through those offenses that want to just put up these walls immediately to Jesus. Oh, I'm offended by that. I'm out. But the truth is offensive sometimes because the truth we don't want to hear. Our lives don't line up with the truth. And so if it's true, then something needs to change. And I don't want to change. I liked the warm fuzzies. I'd rather go back to that. It was easy. All I had to do was show up at church and I would hear God and I'd feel him and I'd worship him and walk out rejoicing. I don't feel that anymore. And now I have to get into the word for myself. I have to dig for it a little. I have to read the Bible every day. I don't know. I was talking to somebody last week at the altar, though, that she said, I think, I kind of forget who it was, but I think she said, it's amazing how it's so hard to get into really having a real relationship with God. But once you do, it's so good. And you never want to go back. But it's hard to tell other people that when they haven't gotten there themselves. And I said, I know, it's kind of like working out, huh? (laughs) Right? You can't tell somebody that loves to sit on the couch, that it's much better to exercise, right? But once you do it and you're in the routine of it and you're understanding life at this new, fit, healthy level, you never want to go back. Telling somebody on the couch, that is tough because sitting on the couch feels good too in the moment. Maybe not later. This is the, the fundamental reason people reject Jesus Christ. He doesn't coordinate with our lifestyle. And we're not willing to change it. We're selfish, stubborn, unwilling to change. But if we can accept the truth, allow him to move through those walls, to to knock them over, to wreck us, as that song said today, he can move us to the next level. Now, I originally called this point... Jesus didn't apologize for offending them. But I changed it at the last minute because I didn't want us to think that we should also not apologize when we offend people. Right? There's a big difference between when I offend somebody because I'm not perfect and when Jesus offends somebody who is perfect and always speaks the truth. The truth is offensive all on its own. I don't need to add my stuff to it. Right? Jesus is perfect. We are not. God never makes mistakes. We do. We shouldn't be so sacred that we can't say I'm sorry, especially as the church. From a leadership perspective, we should be following Jesus' example, though, in challenging people to go deeper, to get more. But from a disciple perspective, when the word or or when Jesus' words offend you, examine that. Right? Don't let it send you out immediately. Don't allow your offenses to make you run the other direction. Push through that. Let him push through that. We are to get so in tune with Jesus' words that when he speaks, we're listening. When he's shouting, we're listening. But also when he's whispering, we're listening. 
that we can receive from God in different ways in different seasons and still be okay with that. I want to examine both audiences here for a second, though. As Jesus was speaking this truth, it landed on two different kinds of people, two separate bodies of people in different ways. There was the crowd, and then there were the disciples. Jesus, the word, actually, John, calls the whole crowd his disciples because they were up until that point. They were following him. They were in. But at this point, something starts to change, and suddenly there is the crowd, and there is disciples, right? The crowd hears Jesus' words, gets offended by them, and pieces out. The disciples stick around. The crowd liked Jesus and what he could provide for them, but the disciples stuck around long enough to actually become like Jesus. I think a lot of us sitting in churches are crowd, not disciples. We like Jesus. We think his teachings are pretty good, right? The golden rule we were raised with in our schools, that's how you know. By the way, still a Christian culture. The word is still preached in schools. They just don't call it the word anymore. The golden rule is in the Bible. It's in almost every elementary classroom I've ever been in. (laughs) Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Jesus taught that. We like those things. They're all right. We can be good to other people. We can check off all the boxes. But to actually become like him costs something. Do you see how many prices Jesus had to pay. It wasn't just the cross. He lived a life of sacrifice. He went up on that mountain to pray when he probably felt like sleeping. He served the people. And let me just tell you, people will suck the energy out of you so fast. But he did it over and over and over again. He served them even when it meant delivering tough words and even when it meant people deserting him. People that loved him are now deserting him. The crowd got offended and left, but the 12 got offended and stuck around. See, remember when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan? That was to one of his true disciples. It was to Peter. I imagine that Peter got pretty offended, but Peter stuck around. Jesus had harsh words to say to people. The 12 stuck around until they understood until they understood to the point where they could write these books, understand his actual meanings behind things. I'm sure John didn't understand that Jesus was testing them when he asked those questions, when he sent them out onto the sea. But by the time he wrote this, he understood. He allowed Jesus to move him from just needing milk, needing his physical presence there with him all the time, providing for his every need, into adulthood where he could be provided for spiritually and take care of himself physically. It's a good thing to move into maturity. A disciple understands that because a disciple is a learner, a mentee, an apprentice. Those things require commitment, not just a vague fondness for. A lot of us sitting in churches are crowd, not disciples. We haven't actually taken the time to learn the virtues, the values, and the vantage points of Jesus. The virtues are the the character traits, who he actually is. That in different seasons, in two different spirits, he will speak to you differently because he can see through the physical appearance and he judges by the heart. Right? 
So when there is a starving spirit, he speaks tough truths. But he'll also leave the 99 and go after the one when he needs to. Jesus will relate to us in different ways based on the season that we're in. If we can't mature to adulthood spiritually, we're going to miss it. We have to learn his values too, his priorities. The fact that he came to serve people, yes, but he came on a mission from God, and he's going to serve God first. He's going to put God's mission above what the people want or think they need. He's going to serve him first and foremost. And Jesus is asking you, will you walk away too? Yeah, I love how Jesus didn't allow the 12 to stay in that place. He, he didn't allow them to focus on the ones who left. In fact, we don't see Jesus talking about the ones who left again. Instead, he turns his attention to the ones who are still here. And he makes them turn their attention inward as well. Don't focus on the ones who left. What are you going to do? Are you going to walk away too? And they say, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. No one else has that. We can get bread anywhere. You can go to the doctor and get healed. You have the words that give eternal life. That's the bread that we need. That's the well that we need. The crowd had a, had a starving spirit, a me church spirit, right? We have a value around here. Me, we church, not me church, meaning we come into church to serve each other, to give into each other, like Jesus intended the church to be, not to just get, 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 get all the time, to get fed in exactly the way that we want it and no other way. A starving spirit always wants more. They're never satisfied. They're never content. And they tend to only want the power for the power's sake, not because of the God who provided it. Things Jesus did not do for a starving spirit. He did not keep feeding them baby food. If you only receive from God in worship services, it's time to go deeper. If you only receive from God in the context of someone else's interpretation of the scriptures, it's time to go deeper. If you only receive from God on the verse of the day on your Bible app, it's time to go deeper. Jesus will not keep feeding you baby food after it's spiritually unhealthy for you to be eating baby food. He wants to take you further. Number two, to, for a starving spirit, Jesus did not stress himself out trying to keep them happy. Jesus cares more that you are spiritually healthy than you are physically happy. And he's not going to stress himself out trying to get you to see that. Number three, <clears throat> Jesus did not let them stay in that mindset. He challenged them almost immediately, right? Upon encountering a starving spirit, a selfish, me-centered spirit, he challenged them, and he didn't let them stay there. Number four, he didn't run after them and beg them to come back. 
Christians, we sometimes like to do this. We think the one that got away needs to be run after. And sometimes they do. And that's why it's important to listen to the Holy Spirit and use Holy Spirit-given discernment. Because sometimes you do have to leave the 99 and go after the one. But when it's a starving spirit, you're only going to stress yourself out trying to get them to come back when that's God's job. God is to convict. The Father brings them. It's our job to tell the good news. And number five, Jesus did not blame himself. He gave it over to the Father. It's God's job to bring them. It's our job to speak the good news. So today, my question to you is, are you in or are you out? Are you going to quit when things get tough? Or when you get offended? When things aren't handed to you anymore? Or are you in for the long haul? Jesus, by the way, he's not disappointed in you. If you're sitting there thinking, I've been wishy-washy. I'm in and out. I don't know what I want. I serve God sometimes and I don't. Jesus is not disappointed in you. He knows your faults. He created you. He knew you in the womb before your mother knew your name. He gave you specific gifts and talents. He knitted you together. He knows you better than you know yourself, and he knows your faults better than you know them too. He provided for them already. He gave you people in your life probably to pick up where you are short. Over and over and over throughout the tapestry of scripture, we see Faulty people serving God. Faulty people being used by God. God knew how they were going to mess up. He chose them anyway. And after they messed up and repented, he chose them again, continued to use them. That's the beauty of this relationship. But it's also the mystery of grace. The theological term for it is sanctification. Right? That we are made perfect in his sight, but we know that we can never reach perfection. It doesn't stop us from trying. <laughs> Sanctification. He makes us more and more like him. The more and more we surrender to him. We can't do it on our own. He does it for us. We will never be perfect, but we're going to try to live up to his example anyway. And we're not going to beat ourselves up when we fall short because he's already forgiven us for that on the cross. I'm in. Needs to be said almost every day. I'm in, Jesus. Yesterday I messed up, but your mercies are new every morning, and today I'm going to wake up again, and I'm going to say I'm in, and I'm going to forgive myself for yesterday, and I'm going to serve you wholeheartedly again today. If you said I'm in 30 years ago, you might need to say it again. might need to renew that spirit, you might need to surrender more of yourself than you ever have before. Trust him through this season of storms because he's calling you to walk on the waves, not just survive them. He's calling you to own them, to tell the wind and the waves what to do, not just get through the night. You're an overcomer in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. The more you understand of who God is, the more you'll understand who you were created to be. Jesus wants to, see, to help you to see 
the spiritual through the physical. He wants to elevate your thinking, to challenge you and prepare you. I used to think that I would someday stop being stretched. Someday I would arrive at my calling, perfectly capable and ready, and I would just do it because I'm willing, God. I'm starting to understand, though, that Jesus is never going to be done stretching me, never going to be done challenging me. And if I become unwilling to stretch any further, I'm going to miss what he has for me, the good things he has for me, because I want to avoid pain. So let's embrace the pain a little, right? Embrace the stretch. If God isn't stretching you anymore, that means he's done with you. And I'm here to tell you today, if you still have breath in your lungs, he's not done with you. Stop avoiding the pain. Step out of your comfort zone and allow him to use you. Because if you don't, you're already telling him that you're out. Tell him I'm in. Be challenged. Be stretched. Called up into a higher understanding. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. Thank you that you use it to teach us and correct us and guide us and discipline us. And even when it's not easy, your word is tough to understand. We don't like to hear the truth that you call us higher. Thank you, God, that you in your perfect wisdom and understanding and judgment, you choose the places that we need to work on, and you lead us through it so perfectly. God, help us have the faith to step out of the boat, to trust you bigger than we ever have before, to understand that you want to bless us, but it's not always going to be in the same way because you want to give us more. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.